This is Daniel Figel, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We're going to be speaking today about the future of chat. What is the role of man and machine in online conversation? What does that look like for the future of all businesses, regardless of industry? We speak this week with someone who has a unique perspective on this topic. Robert Locasio is the CEO of LivePerson. Some of you have heard of LivePerson. They are a publicly traded company. Robert founded them back in 1995. Uh, And they are now currently on LinkedIn, have something like 1,600 employees around the world. Uh, And Robert speaks to us about the evolution of the company from purely humans servicing other humans to where machines are starting to fit in and how LivePerson is building out different kinds of automations and different kinds of chat interfaces for different clients. The process is not magic. There is a lot of setup. There's a lot of nuance. And that's exactly my job to extract what's possible, what's working. But Robert is someone who gets to see the future and the cutting edge of customer service across industries, and his perspective for that reason is valuable. Obviously, Robert's a tough-to-get-a-hold-of person as well as CEO of a publicly traded company, but we're lucky to be able to have him here on the show. I do want to say, if you like the show, you want to support this program, it would mean the world if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can go to Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star review if you love what you're hearing here, and let us know what you like to learn most, what episodes really struck you. We try to fight really hard to get access to hard-to-access people, to talk about cutting-edge trends and applications that you wouldn't be able to find elsewhere, and it really is your feedback that helps to drive us. Every time we get a new podcast review, that's something that goes in front of my team for our Monday meetings when we discuss sort of what we want to be building out for editorial. So your feedback really does matter, and it helps to support the show. You can find AI in Business on Apple Podcasts and simply drop us a review there. It would mean the world. But otherwise, without further ado, we're going to fly into this very exciting episode with Robert Locasio, CEO of LivePerson, here on the AI in Business podcast. So, Rob, I want to dive into the kind of future of AI and chat in the enterprise and a little bit of your journey there. But before I even do, you've been running this company for quite some time. I mean, you guys started online chat in the 90s. company's been a public firm for 20 years here. When you looked at your business, something like, I don't know how many, 70 or 80 million conversations you're handling in any given month, when you looked down at your business and tried to find where AI could layer value for your clients, how did you think through that process? Because it seems like that's almost an an endless, uh, there's almost an endless number of answers there. Yeah, you know, I basically, looking at that data set, like I said, we do about 70, 80 million conversations a month. I kind of said, you know, that data, we could take and look at, you know, how are, you know, use cases around banking and telco and, and, and retail and Healthcare. These are our, our big customer bases come from these verticals. You know, how can we automate those conversations? And so we basically just dove into the data. We aggregated the data and looked at it across customer. And we could see that there were patterns that made really good conversations. So that drove us to say, okay, let's build a host of tools and a new platform called the conversational cloud in which we could enable large enterprises, mid-market customers to scale their conversations and automate them. And, and with the onset of COVID, you know, there was a massive, massive impact to contact centers. The contact center agents home and uh, yep. nobody was there. You know, they couldn't take calls. So, so they went home. Now they're taking calls there. And so there's been a massive drive to automation now because having someone work at home and answer calls is just not the way to go. How do you automate that through a digital experience? 
that's really what's happened. Yeah, and obviously with with the onset of COVID, you know, firms like yourself are now in this position to potentially, you know, catch the opportunity in a major way. When you look at sort of what's potentially automatable, man, even there, so much to get into. I mean, there's for each individual business that you work with, you know, maybe you're working with a 1-800-Flowers, maybe you're working with a, a Citibank. I know you guys work with some of the biggest companies in America here. The use cases are relatively bespoke. Um, and I know you've you worked on sort of building a tool that's at least understandable for, you know, non-technical people. We definitely need subject matter experts to layer context and to structure sort of flows for these conversational systems. But how did you determine kind of what the bounding box would be? Because even that feels feels endless and you need to kind of focus in somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, we, we put all this under the header of conversational commerce. And I fundamentally believe that conversational commerce is going to be the next leg of digital. So we had e-commerce and now we're shifting to C-commerce. And e-commerce is is a very interesting thing. When you think about it, like I show up at a website and basically every website looks the same, right? I mean, top nav, data. and, And Google set those rules and said, if you don't do that, we won't index you. And that's why everything looks the same. So what you're seeing is digital each brand doesn't have its own personality. Now, with conversational commerce, you develop your own personality and you develop your own way to engage uh, your consumers. So like Chipotle, we had uh, obviously during uh, COVID, what happened was people didn't want to go in and get a burrito and make a burrito. They don't want to sit there for five minutes and make a burrito. So Chipotle turned to us and said, you know, we want to build an automation that somebody could come in through their mobile device, through any messenger front end, Facebook, iMessage, WhatsApp, and we want them to configure a burrito and and or you know whatever they want. And they built we built this uh, automation called Pepper. It's called Pepper, and you can communicate with Pepper. And then you show up at the door and they hand it to you. And so that's the Chipotle one. You know we've we've got uh, David's Bridal, which also people didn't want to come in. People are still getting married, but do you want to go and sit in the store and try on a dress? And but they're, they're one of the largest uh, bridal companies in in the world. We automated, you know, looking at at different things for your body type, for your style, making appointments so you're the only one that's in that store, so you don't have a crowd in the store. We built all that. This is just some examples during COVID, but every one of our customers gets the ability to create a conversational experience that's unique to them, and that's what makes C-commerce different than e-commerce. Yeah, well, you know, I I could certainly see the argument that linear text back and forth actually has potentially less less opportunity for really robust customization than you know a really schmancy dancy website but but I get where you're where you're coming from I, I definitely think that there is like a there's a certain flavor of the brand that you get from talking that maybe you wouldn't get from from a website and, and obviously what you're saying is that we can tailor that of course with a website there's a lot we can do with color and features and video and whatever but but certainly there's personalization on the conversation side. I could kind of see arguments on both sides there. With respect to working with these big brands, again, you're, you're dropping some pretty pretty big names here, names that almost everybody listening in has heard of. What does it look like to set up these unique systems for them? Because obviously Chipotle's use case, which by the way, feels very accessible. You know, the, the number yeah. of burritos you can build is not unlimited, right? No, As opposed no, to you guys work with Delta Airlines, the number yes. of things I can complain about to my airline is there's probably two dozen you could tackle off the cuff, but but there's got to be another 400 that are just, we're handing this to a human being. But Chipotle just feels, wow, that feels like, almost like Domino's' chatbot was pretty popular or 1-800-Flowers was doing some stuff because there's only so many purchase options. But when you go into different clients, you got 
big airlines, you got these restaurant chains. What's that process of really working with them? Because there's got to be a bespoke build-out part. You've got your core platform, which you guys are able to use. You have a tremendous amount of data and a lot of staff, obviously. What's it look like to hop into these big brands and, and build out something that really drives value for them? Our platform, the Conversational Cloud, we, it's really broken into three areas, and, and, and they're really around the three areas of need when you're looking to scale automations. One is the intent, we call it intent manager, and it's a technology that ingests all the conversations and then organizes the intents. So we talk about an intent-driven business. What is it consumers want? They have an intention to do something with you. They want to buy something. They want a customer care question answered. And that's an intention, and we call that in technology intent. So we organize the intents, and it turns out, as we all know, we all ask an intent differently. So I may ask, hey, I build differently than you do. But the technology has to recognize those differences, aggregate them, and then what you get to see is a list of all the intents in your business, and then what are the top intents and where the mid-level? And usually what we say is like, let's go solve the top intents. Yeah. Maybe one intent is 30% of all the voice calls you're having. Let's just solve that. Yeah. So the next thing you do, okay, like, do you have backend access to those systems that can support you know, that conversation, fulfilling that intent? And then we have a thing called Conversation Builder that enables the automations, the, the actual conversation, the bot to be built, deployed, and then managed. And then we have the analytics behind it. But but that's kind of the thing. So it's, it's look at the intents, craft the automation, deploy it, improve it, manage it, and then look at the data around that to keep the, the cycle going to make it you know, get to 90, 95% uh, accuracy. That's where we try to get to, 90, 90, 90 to over 90% to goal. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's one of the things about these customer-facing systems, right, is, is you if you guys were just building some insider analysis tool based on call center transcripts, you could be right 75% of the time and you're, you're potentially still delivering a good amount of value to those internal teams. But if you're facing customers, we've got to be able to be right more often. So you're talking yeah. about kind of categorizing intents. And I think the companies that do this well have to go through some phase of that, you know, based on volume, what are people at, at their core? What are they trying to get done? Let's let's take a look at our percentages here. It sounds like AI can help with that, obviously, and then figure out what we can tackle. There, there must also be a consideration of which of these questions that, that occupy huge amounts of intense space are AI tackleable and to what level? Maybe maybe some of them, well, we could we could answer the first volley of questions, but almost inevitably the second one we're doing smart routing to the right human being. Maybe in other cases we can potentially automate the whole thing. So it, it sounds like you're probably considering what's taking up a big pie slice of that intense space, but then also, you know, how handleable is this thing and picking a pie slice you can actually get to that 90% with. Yeah, so we, we call this the tango which is a tango between machine and human or agent and human. And so when we go live, a lot of times also we'll have agent assisted bots that are as an agent's doing a human interaction, a, a message or a chat that they are being assisted by a bot. And, and we usually start there so that there isn't a lot of error as in the bot will recommend something to the agent the agent goes, oh, that's correct. And then they're training the bot of what the right answers are. So if you're listeners, if you're out there and you're looking at, so I'll tell you where we see the problems. Cool, well, cool. And, okay, so if you're out there looking at tr physical transcripts, like you literally are pulling 100 chat transcripts and you're reading through them and you're trying to understand what the intent is and then you're trying to understand what a good conversation is, this is problematic. So that's problem number one because it's really hard for a human 
to ingest information at that level. You can go through 10 or 20 transcripts, but you can't go through 200,000. And you usually need at least, you know, when we're looking at building an automation, you usually need at least, let's say, 2,000 transcripts to understand the commonalities of what is a good conversation around a specific intent. It's very hard for a human to look at 2,000 transcripts and say, like, here's the pieces that made that good. The second thing is if you are, uh, if your technical teams, your data science teams are building the automations because they're looking at these transcripts and then they're creating something, that's problematic, we found, because usually this group of employees don't talk to customers like a contact center rep. Yep. So, so that's why we built the tools so a contact center rep could create the conversation in a natural, like they're writing a book, like they're writing a chat. They don't have to do flow charts and Gantt chart. They just, they write a conversation naturally. And then we have an AI there that tells them how they're, how they should write the conversation. They can pull in an API, but if you're hand doing this, this is where we have a lot of problems with chats. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I think teams that are, let's say not wholly and unhealthily ignorant as to how AI should operate. And I would hope that a good percentage of our audience fits that bill. Teams that aren't at that level of wholehearted ignorance, I, I think would probably do a good amount of actual labeling of the intents. And then they would take a system like yours and they would say, how well is this thing labeling intents? You know, how, how well does this line up to what we know our intents to be? You're right. Millions? Having a human team label millions? And no, no. Of course, that would be obscene. But having sort of a, a head customer service person and maybe some of their crack customer service subject matter experts kind of come up with these major buckets and trees and then seeing, hey, can AI detect and bucket these things appropriately, it would feel like that's the only realistic way to, to skin the cat. The part about having non-technical folks build out the system is also pretty tough. So having, having the guy straight out of Carnegie Mellon with a PhD, hey, pal, you work at Delta Airlines now. Why don't you go ahead and build our chatbot? That would be one of those wholehearted ignorance things that we would sort of advise our listeners not to do. The other thing, though, that's often really hard is take your subject matter expert and you know put them behind the steering wheel of something that's that's all of a sudden gonna gonna influence the user experience of you know a hundred thousand folks a day you know at Delta Airlines. So when you work hand in hand with a big brand and you're working with their subject matter experts, which is really necessary, of course you need to talk yeah. to IT to get access to data. Sure. You need to talk to subject matter experts because they know how these flows work. How do you team up with them to get the company to a level of confidence where they're ready to deploy? I imagine we got to sandbox and incubate this stuff a little bit because again it's a lot of responsibility for Jimmy and customer service, even if he's been there for 20 years to push something live. Talk about that tango with you and the subject matter experts to get something rolling. You're absolutely right. It, it's crossing groups. So you've got the IT folks and the technical folks that have the knowledge of all the backend systems. You need, you need that access. You have then the contact center reps who understand about conversations and the diversity of conversations. By the way, if you talk to a contact center rep, you'll find even for the same intent, they sometimes pick up the personality. Like we had, a, we have a bot called Grillmaster, which is selling outdoor grills for Lowe's. Wow, what an interesting use case! End to end flow, end to end, like no human in the loop. That's pretty cool. A, a contact center agent group in the Dominican Republic built this bot and many others. And I remember when we were, I was down, I went down there. It was like one of our first. This was about two years ago. It's one of our first automations on the scale. And I talked to the contact said, tell me what it's like selling a grill. And they told me like, well, there's three different types of people who talk to them. There's the, the know-it-all and they, they ask an intent in a certain way. 
And there's a person who asks, who will ask me first, like, do you barbecue? What steaks do you like? You know, they'll, they'll ask the agent and they want, they want to hear the agent's point of view. Oh, there's, wow. Okay. And so they found even on this same intent of, I want to buy a grill. There were three or four personality types that if the bot started to work and take you down a flow of a certain person, it would, you would lose the person, you would lose the consumer's engagement. So we, the bot asks some questions and that's the beauty of conversational commerce. You don't have to guess. The automation can ask a couple of clarifying questions, which then can take the flow in a certain way. And, and then the agents watch it. So the agents deployed it grill master. They watched it work. They see it's breaking, like as in a consumer broke something, they hop in real time, take it over. So there's no transfer. Then they improve it. And we, within a couple of weeks, you can get that 90%, you know, confidence rate of an automation. And again, I imagine that that objective is easier for some use cases than others. The grill one is a pretty interesting one because that actually does feel, oh man, that feels really bespoke, really kind of like hunky-dory conversational, you know, what, like the, what's the robot going to say to, hey, pal, what, what do you like to grill on the weekends? You know, how do, do you also like XYZ kind of steak? Like, oh man, what a weird bucket of questions <laughs> we got to draw from there. Because at that point, we got to pretend to be human, uh, <laughs> unless we don't. Uh, but I presume... I I don't really know what the what the permission or, or whatever level thing is there. Some people I don't really care if it's a bot or a human. Maybe some people do, but but that that actually feels somewhat challenging. I imagine in these cases, Robert, you've got to have a core team of champions that you're working with because you can't just observe from the outside. Hey, how well are these guys providing feedback to this thing? We got to make sure they know how to provide feedback to the system, where to annotate it you know, what yeah. things to edit in the workflow, make sure they're doing it right. Cause a lot of the time they won't because nobody does stuff right the first time. And that's okay. I'm, I'm sure you build software that's, that's as good as it can be there, but people aren't always going to do things right. What's it look like to, to monitor and work with that team? What kind of a core set of champions do you need to have on, on, on your side really to consistently do that iteration to make this work? We have a group of conversational designers that go out and teach our clients how to do these conversations and make them work and how to use the tools correctly. I, but like you said, someone once said to me, like one of our customers that the way they look at automations is that they're like employees and they're like contact center agents. You just don't put them on a, in front of a customer and give them some basic training because also the business changes. So maybe the thing you trained them on a week later, there's a new product or a new offering. And so it's a new marketing message that went out and consumers are coming in. So there's a care and feeding that has to go on consistently with the automations. Some can be set. Some are like we have on another airline, Qantas, the first, first automation we did with Qantas, which is the large Australian carrier, was check my bag. They have a lot of people who call because they lost their bags and they want to check it. Well, there's a system to that. So the first one we built was check your, uh, check your bag, bot. And that doesn't okay. change too much. That's like, I want to check my bag. Great. Well, give me your flight number. You know, you name it. Uh, okay, great. Here's where your bag is. And it'll be, it'll be dropped off to you. So that's something, you know, that was kind of one and done and set. But you're right. The automations need care and feeding over time. Our tool set gives you feedback when to do that. When you see a high failure rate, when you start to see high failure rates on the automations. Yeah. And somebody's got to be monitoring that I presume. Do, do most of the firms you work with have some level of in-house data science expertise where they can talk to you in a little bit more technical vendor language or the bulk of the time are you, 
you know, just talking to some IT folks and, and really you're not, you're not touching their in-house data science folks. It's mostly IT. There may be some days, usually now there's data science in the IT groups. So they are, yeah. are the IT groups. It's interesting. The, the IT groups, it's kind of a 50, 50 split between we work with IT groups or we work with the customer care sales groups. And so someone will be the champion on either side and they have to bring it through. It's, it's hard. Whatever champion comes, let's say it's a head of customer care, they've got to really bring together the other groups if we're really going to make yeah. it work. Because I've seen this where we get a champion and cares like, oh, I'm all in. I want to do automations. We're going to get the end of it. And, and IT is too busy, whatever, for whatever reason. And you can't get to sophisticated automation. So you're staying up on that FAQ bot, which we all kind of don't like. Yeah, so yeah. That's problematic. And, and if you're going to be a champion – and if you're on the IT side, same thing, just throwing a bot out there in front of a customer care group, they just will just be like, you didn't involve us. And this is not a good conversation. We're getting phone calls and they're costly and it's a bad experience. And CSAT went down or NPS yep. went down. Cross, so there's a lot yeah, to yeah, this. Yeah. But here's here's the end result. I, I've been in this business for so long. I've dealt with large customers and all sorts of customers. We can get to an 80% automation rate. We could do that today. We can automate 80% of your customer contacts. Now, in order to do that, we have to have access to backend systems and we've got to have an alignment in the company. Looking at the data across telcos, banks, insurance, you know, retail, there's very few things that we need a human to talk on a phone about. Very yeah. few. Yeah, I, not being a vendor myself, I can't speak to the same degree of confidence. You've been in this business longer than me. You're also a vendor. All things said, you you definitely said your piece there, though. And I, I don't doubt that there's a, a good, healthy chunk of what we all believe humans need to, to be in there for that maybe they, they don't. The last question I want to run by you here, Rob, as we wrap up today, and now that we have an understanding of sort of what you guys have built out, I also really appreciate the context on the process. You guys have so many big clients. I think the process gets a lot more credibility when you guys talk about it. It's really what you've done with your own firm. You know, a lot of the people listening in, they might be interested in applying chat in their own business. They're also uh, maybe a little envious, you know, that a company that's been public for 20 years has been able to, you know, build an, 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 an wing of their business that involves artificial intelligence and leverages it in a powerful way. When you think about the transferable lessons for the other listeners who might work in, you know, the kinds of companies you work with, big banks, you know, life sciences firm, maybe a big retailer, what are some of the things you learned as, as a leader of, of an innovative company for bringing AI into a company that really didn't have it in its DNA from the get-go? What yeah. did you pick up that other people should know? Yeah, so it's funny. Like I, I was reading an article it was once a few years ago in the Financial Times about the best lawyers, corporate lawyers in the country. And one of them was the general counsel of Spotify. And, and Spotify is one of our customers. And I called them up. And, and they wrote this article about how he had a tech, he had a tech team. It said, this guy has a tech team. And I'm like, what <laughs> does a general counsel, why does he have a tech team? Yeah, that's team? interesting. That's interesting, right? So I called him up and I met with him. And he said, yeah, I'm automating like a ton of what we're doing in the legal department. And, and nobody wants to automate legal. Like there's no technology for automating legal, like a good legal process. So contracts and all this stuff. Thinking. And uh, I started looking at my own company, and our, our, our GNA line is about 12, 13% of revenue. So every year, about 12 to 13% we're spending on finance, HR, and legal. 
And this is kind of normal. Nine to 12% is kind of what a normal public company will spend. So I'm like, what do we do there? So I, you know, I've looked into it and stuff and, and I started to realize it's just, these are big data repositories. And then people rely on these, on analysts in these uh, groups to look at the data and give them feedback. And so I said, why can't we automate that? So I, I did, I did something that, which was pretty bold, you know, and I think it'll become the trend, but about three quarters ago, I switched out my CFO and I hired a data scientist. I had a guy, a guy who came out of MIT. He had, he built a hedge fund uh, based on some machine learning algorithms that he built around consumer engagement on mobile devices. And I found him and I hired him. His name's John Collins. And John joined us and he is automating a lot of, you know, what we normally had humans doing. And I, such from mundane work, like, you know, we, we have... It's we have hundreds of millions of dollars that comes in from every year in sales. So people send money to our bank account. And there there was a human who looks at like, oh, two million, two hundred thousand and sixty four to twenty six cents came in. Oh, that's related to something of this customer's invoice. I mean, literally, there's humans that do this. And it, and it was. And so we built an automation to remove that human. And there's a lot of other things he's done now. Now he's, we're working on a CRM system that's fully conversational. So our salespeople don't have to input stuff into Salesforce, but we capture the conversations they're having on voice calls and emails also. And we can tell where they are in the stage of selling. And so he's built, he's building a system like that. So all I'm saying is that we're now pointing AI and all that towards us. And, and I decided to take our CFO and make him, he was a, he's a data scientist yep. and it, it's a game changing thing. So I think we could take down GNA from you know twelve percent, I think we'll get it down someday to about three, three percent. So for a company like ours, that's taking a fifty million dollar expense and taking it down to five million. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah. saying like that, and that's all profit. And so even though the name of our company is called Live Person, I, I kind of know that live people should be doing strategic work. They shouldn't be doing mundane work. <laughs> yeah, this is that's the funny thing, right? You're talking about eighty percent, and again, I I can't back that number, but um, you're talking about eighty percent of conversations not needing people. That is the name of the firm, um, yes. but it sounds like your live people. You know, your vision here for live people is, hey, strategy, high level work. That's basically it. We shouldn't be doing the mundane stuff. Yeah, and and what AI, there's there's a little bit of a, a debate on AI, but you know, there's the concept of AI, which is Elon Musk keeps saying it's an existential threat to humanity. My perspective is that AI will give us more capacity as humans, like any machines do. And yes, job loss will happen. I don't think it'd be as severe as people think because like our, our contact center agents who are answering phone calls now are becoming bot builders. We've made that transition with them. So there's a lot of need for even people with that skill set to move to conversational AI. So I just think that it'll give us a lot of capacity. And that's why you know, if you look at China, our big everyone talks about the biggest threat of China is we're focused on AI in the country, and our government isn't as focused, although our, our large tech companies are, most tech are. AI, the reason that countries like China are taking a, trying to take a lead is they think we're going to open up more capacity. And if we open up more capacity for the people that are in our country, that they're going to do better things. Like we're going to give them time back. And usually when people get time back, they fill it with sometimes, you know, new innovations. And we've got to take a leadership role 
and not keep talking about it as like we're going to replace human brains and we're going to be creating weapons with AI that's going to kill us. They're going to turn on us like like uh, Terminator. Yeah. Beyond the, the science fiction of this, this is here to help us do our work better. Like my CFO doesn't work better because he's got machines that are, and we're making better decisions because of our machines. And everyone should be thinking like that. And that's going to make us a better, better place. Once we have more capacity, we're freed up to do better things with our lives. Yeah, strategic work. I'm, I'm not entirely sure if so I'm definitely with you on the idea that humans can move to higher level strategic work. I think sometimes we're not going to be able to find a role for everybody, but you know, some some of the time we definitely are. We'll be able to repurpose staff. I think making such a statement would not make me feel like I'm misleading anybody. I think that there are some folks that are thinking about the existential side of AI 20, 30 years out, and I think some of that may very well be still be super relevant. And I'm not going to take a lick away from actually some of those uh, broader concerns. That mm -hmm. said, today for a CFO, if you're reading Nick Bostrom on the job, you, you basically should be fired um, and, and, and you should be reading something that has to do with you you actually delivering results to your to your company. So I, I, won't, I won't disparage Bostrom or, or, or the folks in that camp, but I also will totally agree with you that, hey, there's a lot of good to be done and let's go ahead and get down to it. In terms of transferable lessons, as we close out here, Rob, things that other people could learn from is one of them, hey, take leadership and bring in folks that can breathe life into AI in key parts of your business. Is that one of the takeaways? And do you have any other takeaways as we wrap up this episode? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I decided to do last year was everyone who's in the company is going to be an AI native. And so everybody from a salesperson to a person in finance to obviously technologists may already have that skill, but everyone is what we are calling AI native. So we put people through a program now, a series of programs, and it's a continuing education series. Like every day I can listen on, on something around AI. What I felt was if we're really going to embrace this as a company, everyone in every corner of the company has to understand at some fundamental level. You may not be able to program, I get that. You, you may not be able to you know, create an automation yourself, but you gotta understand what a feature set is. You have to understand what you know, machine learning is. You have to understand some basic stuff around this and not just what you're reading in newspapers. And so what yeah. I would say is yeah. that even though we are an AI company, and we do have data scientists and our head of data science help with this. You don't have to go that way. Like we're even here. If you want to reach out to me, I can uh, tell you where you can go for resources. We created a curriculum, which we would even be more than willing to share with people. And I think if you can get more and more people in your company, someone in finance is going to try to use AI to change their job versus their job gets changed because of AI. And that's where I found this too. Our employees, like some people who are not technical people would tell me, I need to learn about this. Like, I know this is going to change my job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to take a lead on it. I don't want to be run over by it. And that's the greatest gift you can give to people in your organization. Got it. Okay, so two things here. On, on the one hand, there's some level of, hey, smart leadership in the parts of your business that have opportunity, who, who can share that AI vision, that's going to help drive some change. Also, from the bottom up, you know, we can decide to breathe AI fluency into the training of all the departments of the business so that people get it and can participate in this transformation. Yes. I like it. it. I like it. And you're, you're, uh, you're doing it while you're moving and shaking with a rather large firm there, Rob. So hopefully some of the folks tuned in are taking notes. I know that's all we have for time, but thank you so much for being able to join us on the show today. Thank you.
So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Big thank you to Robert for taking time away from being the CEO of a public firm to join us here on the show. And thank you to you for listening all the way through to the end. If you enjoy this program and you want to make sure you don't miss any future episodes or any of the trends or use cases we cover at Emerge, then be sure to stay subscribed by email. You're probably already subscribed on podcast, but you can stay subscribed on our newsletter as well. That's emerj.com. Up at the top right is a button called subscribe. Every Tuesday and every Thursday, we send out a newsletter with all of our latest interviews, use cases, and articles here at Emerge. So if you want to stay ahead of the curve in terms of use cases, cutting edge trends, and best practices for the ROI of AI, this is the place to stay plugged in. You can go to emerj.com, click subscribe, and stay connected to us there. Otherwise, thanks for listening all the way through, and I look forward to catching you for Thursday's episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.